Prosopagnosia, the inability to recognize faces, occurs in up to 2% of the population. Most people struggle with it alone, unaware it even has a name. The stories in this podcast can be painful and hilarious. Join us for an exploration of the people, science, and realities of this condition. Maybe you have a hard time remembering faces. Come for the stories, stay for the coping techniques. Our guest today comes from the future, as in he's already into tomorrow down under, while I'm stuck here in yesterday's Rhode Island. No surprise really that he's face blind, but quite surprising that he's an artist who specializes in drawing faces. Michael Druitt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sort of a nice pleasure. So the first thing I uh, have to ask, though I do know the answer, is Michael Druitt your real name? It it is yeah it's for as long as I can remember you get made fun of if people as soon as people find out you can draw it's oh Mike drew it yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so you were uh, you knew that you were artistic from an early age uh, not really until high school mm-hmm. um, I'll say sort of about year eight or nine so probably when I was about thirteen fourteen. I always liked art, but that's when I discovered I could draw and found a love for fantasy art and went from there. But my mother's a very talented artist as well. Oh, what medium? Uh, she's a painter, mainly watercolor. Okay, so you had it you had it around the house. Yes, definitely had art around the house, so that is always good encouragement. You mentioned to me that you had not been to the States, but Someday you hope to come to Comic-Con. And after we had our discussion, I realized, okay, I think he meant more as an artist rather than dressed up as a character. Was I right on that? Yeah, both. <laughs> both? I, I'd like, I would like to be there as an artist, but realistically, it would be as just a visitor. Uh, I don't cosplay, but if you go all the effort to get over there you'd have to cosplay something yeah what what would you dress up as if if you had to be put on the spot to pick something right now uh i'm not sure at the moment i'm working on a project with my daughter who does cosplay um i can't reveal what that one is but it's a alice in wonderland themed one uh i do do a good sweeney todd but i have to grow my hair long for sweeney todd because you need that messy, messy hair. But otherwise, it'd have to be someone tall and skinny. <laughs> so uh, whereabouts are you in Australia? And uh, my geogra- geographical understanding is pitiful. Uh, I realized that after our discussion as well. <laughs> yeah. Currently, right now, I'm sitting in my house in Coral Cove, which is on the coast of Bundaberg, uh, about four hours north of Brisbane. But Brisbane is my proper base. I'm just here at the moment. Uh, we're actually selling the house, so I'm just doing ISO here. So you're um, you have uh, some examples of your portraits behind you. That obviously the audience can't see this, but uh, and I've seen your website as well. Uh, you know these are realistic facial paintings for the most part, um, and mixed in with what does look like comic book art to me. Yeah, I try and do i suppose photorealism portraits so pencil sketch um so i always work off a 
photo or a movie scene, black and white, and then sort of go from there. So, yeah, I thought I'd put some examples behind me so whenever I'm doing video chat with someone, they can see my art. Um, they are all portraits of people, but there's a lot of comic book characters there. I Yeah, I like doing my Marvel and DC characters. And there is another artist that, uh, the only one other artist that I'm aware of so far that's face blind and does focus on the face, uh, Chuck Close, uh, who's yes. an older gentleman at this point. And he did really large scale, but super photorealistic uh, drawings. Uh, or I think he's still alive, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know of him. I don't know a lot about him. How does one who's face blind get into portrait artistry? Uh, for me, because I acquired my face blindness, so I had been doing lots of art. I used to do a lot of comic book type art, fantasy art, uh, and then would have been like five, six years ago, I think, maybe touch more. Someone challenged me to do portraits. So just to try and get me back into my art because I was just in a bad place at the time and art's really good therapy. And at the time, Dark Knight Joker was just one of the most popular characters sort of in the comic book world. So that was my first portrait I did was Heath Ledger Joker mm. and impressed myself and quite enjoyed it. So I saw your Heath Ledger Joker and I also saw the the most recent Joker, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, right? Joaquin Phoenix, yes. Yeah. So I, I think I saw both of those on your website and a variety of others like – um, actors who have played in the live action series. Mm. And for me, I am able to, I am able to recognize someone, especially if they have pointy ears on or something like that. That's <laughs> pretty distinctive. Yeah. Uh, if I've seen them a thousand times, you know, in, yeah. in the media and the press and the movies themselves. Um, but are you able to actually distinguish that that's Heath Ledger like if you go back and uh, look at the the portrait that you've painted, can you tell it's Heath Ledger? Are you working from a picture or how, how? What is your process? Yeah, I if it's a piece I've done, I know who the character is, mm. which then helps know who the actor is. Um, it's why I predominantly do celebrities because there's a more familiar uh, familiar familiarization a big word for a mm. sunday here um so my process from the start is i find i have to find something that i like and it has to be an image i like i'll print it off in black and white or grayscale because what once i work i'm not looking at the whole face as i draw so i'm just looking at the light and the shade or just the eye and while I'm drawing, it's sort of funny. I sort of blur my vision a touch. Mm. So that helps. You're not so focused on one part. It just sort of blurs at it. And then you're working up close. You don't realize it. And then you've got to step. Usually you've got to step back about 12 feet to look at it properly. Uh, even though 
I always work on A3 or A4 scale. I'm not sure if Americans use the same sizing, but it's a sort of a standard sketchbook size. Yeah, so all I know is uh, like a standard sheet of paper is eight and a half by 11 inches. Yep. I think the A sizes are larger than that. Yeah, oh, it's, it's standard photocopy paper, that's A4. Mm-hmm. And A3 is double. Okay. Yeah. You know, I might have a little context for this. Uh, I have drawn exactly one facial portrait in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. So for um, one of my, my anniversaries with my wife, uh, I went to an art store and I bought this book, a very thin, easy book titled How to Draw Real People. <laughs> and it took you through some very basics. It was all pencil drawing. I mean, the first thing they had you do was spend an awful lot of time on a sphere and getting the shading just right. Yeah. So you draw the sphere and you figure out where your lighting's coming from. And uh, you, uh, I don't know the um, the name of this device, but you had the pencil and then you, and I had like a little uh, cone-shaped piece of paper that you would rub the pencil out to sort of spread it around a little more. Smudger. A smudger, yeah. Yeah. Is that the real favorite. name? That's my favorite tool. Yeah. I think they have another name, but I know them as smudges. Yeah. Like rolled up, rolled up like a cigar. Truly magical. Yeah. Yep. Tru- truly magical what you can do with that. You know, you have this hard edge then and you get to play with that hard edge and make it more and more real. So I understand that. The method that they taught in this book as well was uh, find a photo that you want to replicate mm-hmm. and draw a grid on top of it. And then you take one block, one grid at a time and only concentrate on what's in that grid and try your best to sort of match what's in that. Yeah. Uh, so that was the method that I went through. Uh, and I was able to actually take a wedding photo of my wife and we still have that framed on the wall here somewhere. So she loved it. But um, I think that I also understand what you mean by sort of therapeutic. You know, it was um, you can lose yourself in that. Uh, you know, it took me. I don't know, a week or two. Yeah. Of, you know, an hour a day, you know, working on this thing to get it anywhere near. And I never got the nose quite right. But um, <laughs> um, but I but I, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process. And then I stopped after that. So I did not continue. Uh, I definitely don't have the bug to, to keep doing that. But um, it is it's interesting to think about, like, from a face blind perspective, dividing faces up into little quadrants like that. And I find that when I'm trying to recognize someone new, Oftentimes, I think maybe I'm kind of doing that, you know, like I'll zone in on just the nose or just the left half of the uh, last left half of the nose or an, or an eye or the way an eyebrow arches. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have my biggest problem is that triangle. So the eyes to the mouth, that's the mm. biggest part I have trouble focusing on and taking in. So as I use as a whole. So when you do it, I'll just be working on one eye. Then you stop that eye, then you work on the other eye, then might be half the nose. Yeah, just bit by bit, but never look at the whole thing. It's so it's, it's, it's more looking at the shadows it's all throwing rather than say like the nose itself, you don't draw the nose. You focus on the shadow that the nose throws. Cause yeah, noses aren't fun to draw. So when you started drawing, uh did you have a hard time focusing on faces in order to be able to draw them or, or you said you had uh, acquired prosopagnosia somehow. 
did you start drawing before or after that? Beforehand, I had done very few faces. I never liked doing faces, always struggled. Um, so that's why I mainly did fantasy work or comic art, uh, cars. I like doing sort of old muscle cars and classic cars. So yeah, I had always avoided doing faces. So it's sort of a funny evolution. And how old were you? How old were you when you uh, discovered that you were face blind? Or it was roughly. I'm trying to think how long I've been up in Bundaberg because it was at the point where we just moved from Brisbane to Bundaberg. So it would have been about. I'm thinking it's say t- ten, eleven years ago, maybe twelve. Um, oh, so definitely acquired though. You didn't have this as a child. No, I had. I was short-sighted. That was it. We had one other example on the show, I believe, of someone with acquired. Most other people seem to have had it from birth. Mm. Um, and that came from uh, a pretty nasty hit on the head. Do you know, uh, like, did you hit your head? Do you know how this happened? Yeah. I, to this day, I still don't know exactly how it happened. But from all the tests, it's like, I'll, I'll explain the process. That probably be easier. Okay. Because we moved up to Bundaberg and I didn't know anything had changed. And when you sort of move into a new town, you don't know anyone anyway. And it's sort of, you spend a lot of time at home, you start going to the town a bit, picked up a part time job. And after a while, I'd come home, I'd come home to the wife and just say, We've moved to a strange town. Everyone looks the same. It sounds funny, but it's like it almost felt like the town was inbred because Mm-mm. everyone looked very similar. And at that time, because you, you're sort of not socialising, like we were getting a lot of movies out, and I became the most frustrating person to watch movies with because I had to constantly ask, who's the actor, who's the actress? I just sort of was starting to notice myself something wasn't right. And then we went back to Brisbane and... We were in a shopping centre and I was off doing something with the kids, came back, my wife was talking to someone, I didn't know who they were, so as you do, you just stand politely beside them and don't interrupt. And they were talking for about a good 15 minutes and then went and then afterwards, my wife just turned around and she says, why didn't you say hi? It's like, I didn't know who it was, just thought someone you might have known from the past. And it turned out it was the sister of my best friend that I'd known for over 30 years. Wow. And that's when she just looked at me and went, yeah, you have a problem. And that night we were at dinner with friends and I didn't really recognize my friends, how I used to know they looked like. And we were telling that story because, yeah, my good friend whose sister was there, he was there and someone else had not long read the book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Yeah. So she just said straight away, you need to go see a doctor and get tested. You've got, it sounds like you've got this. And that started all the testing, which probably took close to 12 months to work out. Um, went to the GP because you start at your doctor. He just looked at me and he thought I was paranoid schizophrenic. Didn't believe you. Well, when I said everyone's looking the same, I'm not recognizing people. He didn't, no, he didn't believe me. 
and he sent me to a ophthalmologist to get my eyes tested. And the ophthalmologist, it's like, you're short sighted, there's nothing wrong. She wanted to know what the problem was, and she goes, You've got face blindness. You need to go see a neurologist. And once I talked to the neurologist, he looked at me and went, Okay, yep, one is first thing they needed to do was work out if there was any brain damage. So rather than see if I was face blind, it was more about seeing if there was a tumour, had a stroke, cancer, like tick off all the bad things. And then the final thing was to go get the all the cognitive testing, I think it is. So you, you do all the puzzle solving and IQ tests and the face facial recognition test and eventually they said, yeah, you're face blind and through all that and you've got to recall anything where something might have gone wrong. Not long before we moved up to Bundaberg one night, I stepped out of a room and everything blacked out and I fell backwards and hit my head on tiles and it was that loud it woke, well, it woke someone up, but I was out cold for quite a while. I can still remember the sound of the crack my head made and they think yeah that just caused a small bleed and that was the most likely situation but they didn't see in uh, like the imagery of your brain uh an obvious bleed area no there was no sign of a bleed or a stroke but they could definitely tell that there was damage at some point so 10 years ago, you're well into adulthood, right? You have children. Yeah. Roughly how old are your kids at this time? At this time? So if you go back to 10, 12 years, so the eldest would have been eight or nine, probably right down to sort of like a two, three-year-old. So I'm bad with ages of my kids. That's bad, bad parenting, I know. But, yeah, they were all primary school. Or not even at primary school. And so so they and your wife knew you when you were able to interact, let's say, normally with the public yep. and recognize people. And then they see dad walking around having no idea who his sister's best friend is, for example. Yep. Um, and did, did they start to notice it as well? It sounds like your wife did, but did the kids notice yeah. it too? Not that I can recall, but we're, mm. we're pretty open with our kids. So pretty early on, we were telling them, you know, if we're walking around the shops and dad looks lost, you've got to go up to him. And right. that does happen. So they're good now. They, they'll they help me identify people out and about or they're used to me saying, you know, you, someone walks past and you think, I know them, but I'm not sure. Mm. So they're quite used to me asking. It's like, do I know them? And and that all they'll point people out for me. So it's yeah, they they've been really good that way. How um how how did that impact your ability to recognize your wife and kids? Like, did you note that immediately after this event, uh, you had trouble recognizing your wife and kids too, or? And I assume you could recognize them as well as anyone else uh, before the event? Yeah, it's 
because you'd see them every day, mm-hmm. you don't notice that change. It's sort of a funny one in, in the context as well. But when the kids are at school and they're in school uniform, it's almost impossible for me to pick them out. That that took a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where our kids were told early. It's like if dad's picking you up from school, you've got to go to him because he won't. You you got a hundred hundreds of kids running around all wearing the same uniform and a hat. That's where I'd lose them or in shops. So I can recognise my wife while I'm walking around with it, but if I lose her at the shops, that's really hard. But she's got really fuzzy hair, so I just look for the really curly hair. That's amazing, though. Uh, the same situation uh, 11 years ago, you would have no trouble recognize her, recognizing her in the shop. Ah. And then 10 years ago, overnight almost, you would have a hard time picking her out. And now you're starting to instinctively develop some of these skills like, okay, let's pay attention to the hair more. Yeah. It- did that happen uh, uh, naturally or did some of these doctors who, you know, luckily were had even heard of face blindness, did they give you some tips or some strategies to follow? Uh, I'd say I got most of my strategies myself um, because Sort of once I was told what I had, that's it. I just I didn't see a specialist anymore. There's no counselling or anything like that. It's like here's your prize. Go home and enjoy it. That sort of <laughs> sensation. <laughs> um, see, a lot of it is just learning. You got to learn. Um, and yeah, so the biggest one you pick up on is hairstyles. So change of hairstyles is never fun. Um, like even like beard shaving, it's like I do have a situation I can shave my beard off and I don't recognize myself in a mirror. Just wow, not the same person. I find photos harder, strangely enough, to recognize people I know. Um, yeah, otherwise, you find voice, how people talk, and strangely enough, how people walk. So, I can spot someone in a crowd how they walk yeah gestures and that sort of thing i was thinking about the example of your daughter at school uh my daughters did go to a a catholic school for a while early on when they were much younger and i could totally visualize what you're talking about everyone's wearing the same uniform Mm. but i did note that i could recognize my kids uh easily from a distance actually where you can't even yep. see their face just based yeah. on the way they walk yeah yeah the, the further away someone is the easier it can be mm. yeah, yeah i agree with that that's really interesting wow so um as opposed to most of the people who i've spoken with who were probably born with this and naturally developed some of these tips and techniques or skills, coping mechanisms over time, probably subconsciously. You know, like they're not actively even aware that they can't recognize faces because it's just their reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your case, uh, you had the disadvantage of not having a whole lot of time, but the advantage of knowing what this was. Like in an instant, you know, okay, it, maybe it took a year for the full diagnosis to come through uh, from some of the doctors, but 
you know, now you can go attack it now that you know what it is. Yeah. Um, but you have to, but you have to learn all these coping mechanisms, uh, very quickly and, and maybe just knowing, you know, okay, knowing more about it and, uh, maybe it's a little bit easier to develop those. Hmm. Yeah, I I did find too. I didn't have a big social circle, mm-hmm. especially being in a new town. So that definitely helped a lot because um, I, I do suffer with anxiety as well. So that definitely didn't help, especially if you're in big crowded areas and whatever. That made me more anxious. And that it was probably harder to deal with all the emotional, psychological sides of it than the actual problem itself. Oh, did the anxiety uh, issues precede this? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you had already been dealing with that and this made it worse, I would assume. Yeah. It's like I, I didn't know how that I had bad anxiety. That's something that's happened over time. Um, but the face blindness definitely, that diagnosis came with a couple of other health issues at the time. So it was just like a snowball effect and the face blindness was probably the easiest one to deal with it's because you've got an answer you know it's not it's not going to kill you it's not going to get better it might get worse but that was again a bit sort of quirky it was different yep because you just think of the funny stories you don't think of the bad ones hmm so most of the art that you've done, uh, a lot of these portraits that we touched on at the beginning of the interview came after your diagnosis. Did I get that timeline right? Yeah. I, I'd probably been face blind for at least five years before I started doing portraits. Um, I said, just, just to help with all my things, or whatever, everyone was trying to get me back into my art because I hadn't done any art for quite a while and got back. Got back into it probably a couple of years or a year, say, before I started doing portraits. And a uh, cousin of mine in town that had a shop wanted me to put some art in and said, You should really do portraits. And that's why people keep saying, It's like your face blind. If we, we've got an artist that can do portraits, it's just a selling point. Yeah. And are these contract portraits then uh, where people bring you a photo and say, could you reproduce this? Or are they looking for, uh, you know, portraits of famous people, movie actors, that sort of thing? Most, most of the ones I do are ones I want to do sort of try and pick what people would like, or I ask for suggestions. I'm, I'm really bad. If someone asked me to do a specific one, I can procrastinate really well. I'm a procrastinator. Um, and when it's a commission piece, there's more pressure on you to do a really good job. But when you're doing it because you want to do it, you don't mind if you get it wrong. Where that I, I do do commission pieces. Um, it just depends what they're after. And if it's of a family member, for me, there's more pressure because I don't know if it's going to look right. And you want them to look at it and just straight away have a memory of the person they're wanting you to do. But luckily, every single commission I've done for someone, they yeah, loved it, really happy with it. So it's all you can sort of ask for is when you do a piece, they like it. 
And you describe yourself as an unassuming artist. Um, this is how you make a living today, although we're in the midst of COVID-19 here and all bets are off for most things. How has that impacted you these days? Yeah, at the moment, because I normally try and do markets and things like that, so none of that's happening. Or I'm, that might be starting to happen, but I'm choosing not to. Uh, just don't want to take the risk of sort of catching anything. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's just stopped, but our government's giving good support for people not working, which really helps. They're not giving any support to the art community, but there is that sort of social social security fallback there. But I've got a feeling once everything gets back to a new normal, I can see art will really pick up again because people are just going to want that enjoyment, whether it be film, TV, painting, sort of. It's art that puts a smile on everyone's face, not sort of economics. Mm. Are you able to um, digitally find an audience or a paying audience, let's say? I try. I old-fashioned. I like. I still like face-to-face mm. selling that. Because um, I've had my Facebook page, as you know. Um, I have an Instagram account my Twitter account, that sort of – I put my art up there, but I use that for personal stuff as well, so I try not to do use Twitter to sell anything. I set up an Etsy store, um, but sort of postage costs outside of US oh, – sorry, outside of US – outside of Australia can get expensive, so that makes it hard because I like to keep my sort of – or you see behind me my postcard prints, they're easy to post and quite affordable. But when you get to the bigger prints, that's trickier to post without it getting damaged. And I see in, in your art, there is uh, there is both photorealistic and as we talked about, there's also the comic style. I'm not sure what to call that. It, I guess just comic 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 book style, right? So it's it's less photorealistic? Yeah, most most of them are generally more like a photo mm-hmm. but there might be one there like you know occasionally do one where you just all you're doing is you're simplifying your shading keep it more black and white so more harsh lines um as opposed to soft lines but there's also a variety you can sort of see from my early work to my later work there's that transition of being more yeah, so it's comic-like to getting that softer, softer tone, or I find I'm actually getting darker with a lot of my work. Uh, there's another interesting thing that I sometimes use. Um, look, I'll give you the best example is: Have you ever seen the um, the single line drawing of uh, John Lennon? So he's got the distinctive eyeglasses and and the nose. Yeah. Th- that's the extreme of what we were just talking about, right? There's only a, a single black line that makes the yes. whole portrait, yeah. portrait, a curvy line, right? Yeah. Um, but to me, I look at that and I immediately know, oh, that indicates John Lennon. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's simple, but 
it's detailed, if that makes sense. The right details are there. Right. Do you yeah. find that uh, you're able to apply that logic in recognizing people today? So someone new on the street or some new friend that you're trying to memorize, do you think there's any value or how? You know, what kind of value might there be in trying to envision a line through the most distinctive um, features? And I don't know that this works. It just occurs to me that if I can see the John Lennon, maybe there's a way to architect a single line through the key features that might be useful in yeah. improving the, the facial recognition. Yeah, John, John Lennon's a good example because they're iconic glasses. It's like everyone knows those as the John Lennon glasses. So you see a picture of him with them, especially if he's got the long hair, you know it's John Lennon. Um, where all recently I watched a documentary on the Beatles. I have trouble distinguishing the Beatles except for Ringo. Ringo stands out because he's got the big <laughs> nose and he's shorter. Right, yep. So that's what I use more is if someone's got an unusual nose or they might have really big high cheekbones or narrow jaw, that makes it really easy. But you find when they, when someone's younger, it's harder because their face is smoother, the skin's softer. But as they get older, you get more distinguished wrinkles and sort of age lines. That's very interesting. Yeah. If we take the Beatles as an example, uh, I totally agree with you. If you think back to their very early uh, popularity, mm. they all had a very similar haircut. Yes. And yeah. there are many pictures where they're not wearing glasses at all, I guess. And mm. they're basically wearing the same outfits too. Yeah. They you know, back all in the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's very – and they're younger, and you're right. They have the smoother facial features where later, uh, you know, time takes takes us all. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, cer certain features get more angular and pronounced. Yeah, and they've and they got, got their individual style that mm. in their career, you can see that progression of style in their fashion and, yeah, sort of not letting the manager dress them, they dress themselves. So in such a short period, you found uh, you found out what this was. Uh, you, you realized it. You recognized it. How did socializing change for you? And I, I can only imagine that maybe you would want to push away from getting into social situations where you might make a mistake or just have the extra anxiety of trying to remember faces and knowing how hard that is or maybe impossible that is um did you push away from social situations after that yeah it's sort of like I, I like to go out like i still like my go out for friday drinks and things like that but I, generally i well, was i was sort of a shy person anyway but i did get keep more to myself so go somewhere i I will go to the same seat every time I go somewhere. Sort of, you can go to the same venues, so you get that repetition of people. Sort of that con context. Um, but yeah, if I get invited to, if I have to go somewhere where I don't know anything, I generally don't want to go. 
or I'll find reasons not to go. Or you sort of turn up and wait for someone to find you. I just, yeah, sort of very awkward going up to someone going, are you the person I'm looking for? And you know they know you. So I would say I definitely noticed that was the biggest change in me is not wanting to be at large social settings for quite a while. Well, you were lucky too that you had at least one person in your group of friends when this happened who had read the book, uh, uh, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. You know, another hat tip to uh, Oliver Sacks on this podcast. Um, You hadn't read it, right? You said one of your friends read it and said, hey, mate, I think this is what you have. Yeah, so, and then um, put me onto it, so I got a copy of the book. So that was, yeah, the very next book I read, sort of once I got back home from that trip, I read the book and went, okay, there's one story in here that I can relate to because it went into a lot of other problems. But, yeah, if it wasn't for that, I think I would have gone crazy at that point. I mean, it seems pretty unusual that people, the general public, has even heard of this. Mm. And... So now you've got a group of friends who knew you before, and now you're coming to them and saying, hey, I have this problem. Uh, if I see you in the grocery store or the market, I may not recognize you. Yeah. Uh, how did they um, react to that? Were they believers? Were they skeptical? What was that like? Well, most people you talk to might be a little bit skeptical because they haven't heard of it before. And it's... There's nothing about you that says there's a problem, like to see. So it's always harder for someone to perceive a problem they can't see. Mm. Um, but sort of all my friends and family were very accepting, very good. So as friends do, especially guys that you don't know for a long time, they'll make all the jokes they can. That actually helps because that means they're actually trying to process it. And that my family were really good. Uh, just took it probably took longer to explain what the problem was for them to understand it because you always you say to someone on if someone introduces himself and you'll say okay next time I see you just point yourself out because I don't recognize faces I won't remember your name so I if I can't put a name to a face which I can't it's hard to remember it and this immediate response will be, oh, yeah, I have trouble remembering names too. I know what it's like. <laughs> Everyone says that and we all chuckle. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast and uh, just out of curiosity and you don't have face blindness, I mean, this might be the one marker where we um, we can identify each other <laughs> because yeah. – you know, I know that phrase and I know how it makes you feel. You say, hey, uh, you know, it's, it's clinical. Uh, I have a I have a neurological condition called prosopagnosia that makes it very difficult for me to remember or visualize faces. And then they hear that almost no matter how you put it or how quickly you say it, there's a high percentage of people. Their next statement is, oh, yeah, I'm terrible with names and faces, too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Always. definitely not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and when I when I'm doing a market or something, I actually have a little sign that says I'm a face blind artist because it is a good selling oh. point. Yeah, it is. But it doesn't. 
invoke a lot of inquiries. So you do spend a lot of time trying to explain it. And it's amazing how many people try and tell you how to cure it, that it's probably just a psychological problem. Hypnosis will get rid of it. It's so you know, you don't just get the, oh, I have trouble remembering names. You'll also get all the weird theories on how to fix it. Mm. But I'd say generally 90% of people are generally interested and want to know more. Mm. So it's, yeah, for me, I use it as a selling point, but it's also a good education because it just helps get that awareness out there as well. So one other thing that's difficult here, uh, I think, is to quantitatively uh, assess how face blind you are mm. uh, with uh, this acquired prosopagnosia. Is that how you say it, by the way, prosopagnosia, or do you say prosopagnosia? No, I usually say prosopagnosia. Prosa. Okay. Yeah, I was t- I was speaking with uh, a guest from uh, New Zealand, and I think she's she pointed out that i was uh putting the hard o in which is incorrect but so i i struggle with trying to correct that but anyway the question i wanted to ask was uh over the last 10 years to what degree have you noticed any change either improvement or devolution <laughs> improvement or or it got worse uh or has it been pretty flat definitely hasn't improved um mm-hmm. so because i've gone from the shock of every face how i remembered it looked changed so it's getting rid of faces how you remembered and trying to sort of go with the new face so like my wife doesn't look like the wife i married there's there's a difference there um over time, I think it is gradually getting worse, but my ability to find other ways to recognize people has improved. So it feels like a flat line, but I know it's getting worse. Um, and I sort of come back to because I'm sort of in isolation at the moment. When I go back sort of into the real world, I know I'll have trouble again because I haven't been seeing people all the time. I am. Um, yeah. So we're in the middle of COVID-19 uh, lockdowns. Uh, I can relate to your story in one way. Very curious about this. So uh, I believe that I had COVID-19 back in uh, February timeframe uh, before there was a lot of reporting on it, at least here in the States. And uh, I, I think that because I distinctly remember losing my sense of taste and smell. And I mean, I was, I, I, I'm an engineer by degree, so I had to, uh, test this theory. (laughs) And, uh, one night I got, uh, uh, I noticed it at first with, uh, wasabi, uh, on some sushi, uh, you know, didn't impact me. I took a small piece and then I took a much larger piece and then I took a huge chunk. And, you know, my first thought was, okay, this restaurant has bad wasabi. Um, and then the next night I tested that we got Indian food and I, you know, the lady said, scale of one to 10, uh, what do you want? I should take a two, but I decided to take an eight and I couldn't taste it at all. But I could clearly remember what those tastes should be like. And so I'm curious how this plays out for you. Um, 
take your wife, for example. So this is a face that you were able to visualize in your mind. You could close your eyes at any time prior to acquiring prosopagnosia. Yeah. And you could visualize your wife, correct? Yes. And after, can can you still visualize what her face looked like back then? I find as the years go on, I'm finding it harder and harder to sort of have that recollect, recollection of what people looked like. Um, mm. Sort of, you get ones like my grandparents and my parents. I can, you know, memories and that. And I, I do have with my wife memories, but it's probably more of what she looked like when we first dating. That's the memory I have. And then sort of, We've been together over 20 years, so that you're going to change a lot over time. Um, then I have memories of what I should look like, and I still don't think I look like what I should look like. Um, but that's how I know it's getting worse because it's like I can give you a sort of a, f- a funny moment where when I tell this story to told it to my wife for the first time, she just cracked up. So I it was just just before lockdown happened in Brisbane, and they said everyone, you know, they shut everything down. I was at a little bar with my daughter for an art thing. We we're just having a few beers and that, and I've gotten up and I've gone into the restroom. And as I've walked in, I've opened the door and I've seen this person coming from the right of me, and I've stopped and went, "Oh, sorry, after you." And they didn't move, and they gestured for me to go after them. And then I realised I was looking at a mirror. <laughs> That's that's when I was like, yeah, it's not getting better at all. It's like, wow, didn't even pick that it was person wearing the same clothes and and everything. It's even coming back, I had to double check that it was a mirror, and I hadn't imagined that it was a mirror. So it's yeah, it's going to be a bit daunting getting back into the scene, sort of once it's all sort of up and going. Well, I hope it does at some point. Um, Australia is definitely on my bucket list. I've been all over the world. I'm still missing all of Asia and Australia, uh, but it's there. So uh, maybe one day we'll be. Maybe one day you can show me an an authentic Australian pub. <laughs> oh, not a problem. Sort of. Queen, Queensland's a place to come because they're a bit sunny, a bit warmer. But um, yeah, definitely try and get out. It's sort of. Some of our bars would be a very different experience. I'm definitely sure of that. Great. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you sharing your story here today. Um, where can people find your art? Where, If they want to go see what you're producing as a face-blind artist, portraits as a face-blind artist, uh, where are the best places for them to see some of that? So that either go on to Facebook or Instagram and just look for Michael G. Druitt Art. And that'll come up. My little logo icon is just a guy with a goatee holding a big pencil, just sort of like a chibi style. I think I have that on Instagram at the moment, but that's the best two ways to find me. Well, great. Uh, If you'll send me those, I'll include it in the show notes and people can just click uh, through on those links too when we're done. Stay safe, wear a mask. Yes. And um, hopefully one day we'll be through this. Thanks again. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. For more info on this episode or prosopagnosia in general, visit faceblindpodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening.